Would please turn in your Bible or to your iPhone or, or just listen to Acts chapter 13, verse 42. I'll be reading chapter 13, verse 42 through chapter 14, verse 7. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds... They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited and the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands, But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and historical words to our hearts and minds. Let's pray. Father, cause us, carry us, carry me as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, to be faithful to this passage. And help us all not only see it with the mind's eye, but to love it. To love what we see. Your glory in the gospel of Jesus with our hearts. Do it, O Lord, to the glorification of your holy name through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know... I'm 50, what am I, 57. In all those years, I think it's a pretty safe statement to say that most of us people don't like conflict. We don't like tension. We don't like division. We would prefer peace and quiet if it's up to us. We would prefer that there be no drama going on in our family, our lives, our church, the workplace, no matter where it's at. I know that there are, there's a percentage, I've lived long enough to know that it seems as if there are some who revel in tension and conflict and division and drama, but not most of us. And the reason I bring that up because I think that that disposition within most of us 
is related to evangelism. What I mean, what I mean is this. It's related in the sense of it causes a fear in us in sharing the gospel. It causes a fear of being clear with the biblical gospel with family members, friends, people in the workplace, or just out on the street. Because that person may not welcome what the gospel really has to say. And that will cause conflict, anger, tension. I feel that. That is a struggle in my life. And that's why, for me, and I think for most of us, we are constantly desperate for the Holy Spirit to fill us. We're constantly desperate to draw through the Word and prayer close to the Lord in our lives that we not be dominated by the disposition of anything I can do <laughs> to avoid conflict, like not tell the gospel clearly to this person I'll do. We're desperate for the Lord to work precisely and particularly in the context of Jesus' words from Matthew 10, starting with verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I, Jesus, have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. If we Christians stand for the biblical gospel, we will encounter opposition and conflict and tension. And sometimes, according to Jesus, within families, with our friends, there is inherently in the gospel a quality of it that is, by definition, divisive. That's the gospel. The gospel, of course, means good news. And the gospel is good news. But it is good news that it has a divisiveness about it that separates people. And it's made clear in our passage this morning. Everywhere Paul and Barnabas went, they caused division, conflict, anger. First, in chapter 13 of Acts, verses 42 to 52, after Paul, we saw last week, preached the sermon in the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia. And what happened after it is some Jews and converts to Judaism believed. They followed Paul and Barnabas. Pick up with verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. But... Others rejected their message. And not only that, came against them to the point that they drove them out of the city and out of the region. Verse 45. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy 
and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Verse 50, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. And then they leave and they go to the next town and the same thing happens there. They get word that they're going to be stoned to death and they have to flee the city all because they were faithful to preaching the gospel. The gospel is really, really good news to sinners. But it is good news that divides people. The gospel of God's unearned, unmerited grace saves some and it angers others. And not only that, the gospel in saving sinners it changes their life as the Holy Spirit comes, makes them alive to it in Jesus Christ, and thus the way they walk in this world with the Lord changes, and that life divides and separates within families and friends and workplaces. I want you to notice just for a moment, I'm going to turn to 1 Peter. Notice how Peter clearly says this in 1 Peter 4, starting with verse 3. He's writing to Christians who lived a particular way like we all do before we ever meet Jesus, particularly in adult conversions. And he says to them, for the time that is past, meaning before you came to faith in Christ, the way you used to live your life, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Gentiles is his term here for the unbelievers, non-Christians want to do. That is this, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they badmouth you. They malign you. The gospel divides. So why is it that we who believe and have come to love Jesus continue to walk with the Lord? And continue to preach the gospel. The answer is summed up in chapter 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. In other words, the answer is God's glory being rejoiced in, being uplifted, being adored, being praised by those who are being saved through Jesus. That is the engine of joy that propels the believer to walk and walk and walk with the Lord and to preach the gospel faithfully. And so, what we have here this morning in these accounts, in this large passage of the preaching of the gospel are four lessons about that gospel that we are to learn. First is this. God has an elect people. Secondly, that gospel is about the glory of God foundationally. Thirdly, the biblical gospel wipes out all human boasting. And fourthly, therefore, that gospel divides people. So first, in our understanding 
of the gospel, in our preaching of the gospel, we are meant to grasp that God has an elect people. This truth is taught often and clearly in the Bible. In Matthew 24, the Lord Jesus himself said, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, clearly it's not, but if possible, even the elect. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And in Luke 18, Jesus said, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? And the answer he gives is, yes, he will. And later on in the book of Acts, Luke lets us know Paul was afraid. He was in Corinth. It's not going well. He's thinking about leaving the city and going elsewhere to preach the gospel. And he's afraid what might happen to him. And we read this in chapter 18, verses 9 to 11 of Acts. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. Now this is the sovereign one of the universe, so Paul can trust him when he says what he's going to say. Paul, do not be afraid. But go on speaking, preaching the gospel. And do not be silent. Why? Because I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. Now stop for a moment. Paul has been attacked physically. Jesus will not always protect from attacks, even Paul. But he tells Paul while he's in court, this is... Trust me on this one. You're not going to be physically harmed. Stay here and preach. But then he gives the reason he wants him to stay and preach. Next clause. For I, Jesus, have many in this city who are my people. And Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. In other words, many of Jesus' people are there in Corinth, and Paul has not seen many of them come to Jesus. But over the next year and a half, he will see Jesus' people come to Jesus. He will see Jesus' elect respond to faithful gospel preaching. And Jesus wants Paul there because it is Paul's preaching of the gospel that is the means by which Jesus will gather in his elect. Now, in our passage... Luke clearly points to this doctrine of election. It's right there in verse 48 of chapter 13. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. And then Luke says, And as many as were appointed to eternal life, those ones, Believe. Do not turn that around to make it say something it does not say. It does not say, and as many as believed, ah, oh, then the Lord appointed them to eternal life. It says, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. 
Some of you are homeschool teachers and hopefully you still understand how to diagram sentences. And you know the subject is over here to the left of your main verb. And there's one main verb and it is believe. And over here in the subject, there's just one subject and it's a large subject clause. And that whole clause is, and it is this, here it is, as many as the Lord appointed to eternal life. Boom. That's the subject of the verb. They believed. In other words, when people hear the gospel, then they believe and they are saved. It is because God appointed them to eternal life. Their believing is the result of God's activity of raising them spiritually from the dead to new life by the Holy Spirit through hearing Christians preach the gospel. Now, there are many, many, many true Christian brothers and sisters who are born again, who really love the Lord Jesus, and who do turn this sentence around so that it says something that it does not say. It goes something like this. See, God in His omniscience, knowing all, past, present, and future, looks down the hallways of time into the future. And He sees which human beings of their own autonomous, self-propelling will, will choose to believe in Jesus and who won't. And he sees the ones who will, and then based upon that sight, God appoints them to eternal life. Or God chooses them, or makes them his elect. Those whom he foresees who will believe, those are the ones God then appoints to eternal life. But it does not stand up to the grammar in the syntax of verse 48, nor many other texts in the New Testament. As many as were appointed to eternal life, every one of them in that town, evidently, believed the gospel. Election is based on nothing in the elect. There are no conditions that the elect must meet in order for God to choose them. On God's part, election is unconditional. As Paul plainly says in Romans 9 when he's speaking about Jacob and Esau inside of their mommy's womb, not yet born, he says this, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. She, Rebecca, the mom, was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I hated. And then Paul goes on to mention there in Romans 9 the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and he concludes this way in verse 16. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Our choice to believe the gospel is not why God elected us. His election 
of us is the reason we came to believe. His appointing any of us who are Christians in here, His appointing us to eternal life is the reason we believed. Now someone could be thinking, why are you talking so clearly this morning about such a controversial theological subject over the last 1,700 years within the church while you're talking about evangelism, preaching the gospel? Because I'm an expository preacher. I try to bind myself to the text. And so my reason is simple. Our text brings it up. The bigger question to ask is why does Luke do that? And this is what I think the answer to that question is. It's because God's sovereign, unconditional election is important to believe in the work of evangelism. Whether you're evangelizing within a Jewish synagogue as he was, or out in the marketplace, or in the church. If we believers raising our children, evangelizing our children, or in evangelism over at El Camino College with the evangelism table that Bob leads on a regular basis, or in the office at work, or with relatives. If we think in our evangelism that salvation is ultimately, there's a huge word, ultimately it depends on people's autonomous decision to believe, then we have no guarantee that anyone will ever decide to trust in Christ and turn to him. More than that, we have a biblical guarantee they won't. None, Romans 3, none seek for God. None are looking naturally for this salvation. As Jesus himself said, no one, that means no person ever, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, in their case, as you preach the gospel, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers in order to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. And so, just like every one of us who are Christians now, before we became a Christian, everyone else we preached the gospel to in evangelism, just like we were, are dead in their sins. They're dead to God according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. So preach. Good luck with it. Because dead people will not respond. And that is essentially what Paul himself says. That's what you believe? Good luck. This is how he said it in 1 Corinthians 1. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified. We preach the gospel. And what's the result? It's a stumbling block to Jews. And it's foolishness to everybody else. To Gentiles. But think about it. If it's true that God has an elect 
people whom He chose to be saved before the foundation of the world, as Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, then what Paul says next in 1 Corinthians 1 makes a lot of sense. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called. Just pause for a moment. Who are they? The called. Why will they be called? Because they had been appointed to eternal life. And God will call them to Himself through the preaching of the Gospel by the Spirit. But to those who are called from among both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, to them something happens. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that truth about the Gospel is what gives us confidence as Christians to not be ashamed of the Gospel as it has been given to us in the New Testament. Why? Because we know that our Lord Jesus will use the foolishness of the message preached to save some. That's how Paul spoke. Which brings us to the second major point we see about the gospel in our passage, and that is that the gospel at its core is about God's glory. Luke shows this to us in the Gentiles' response to the gospel in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Glorifying the gospel of Jesus the Christ. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And you jump down to verse 52. And the disciples, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's what the gospel at its core is about. It is about God's glory. His glory being seen and loved by the redeemed. Those who believe. That's the goal. Okay, let me, let me read it to you from Paul. Ephesians 1, the way he opens up the book of Ephesians, listen carefully, is like this. Church, believers, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. And then the last clause gets to the ultimate purpose and goal. Unto the praise of His glorious grace. That's the gospel. That's what our preaching of the gospel ends with in those who are being saved. So the overriding lesson from our passage is that if we want to see God's elect get saved, then we must tell them the gospel. What I mean is this. Here is a warning 
about unbiblical thinking. Wrong thinking. Terrible conclusion to draw from anything that I have said so far this morning. And that is a conclusion that goes like this. Well, if God elected some to salvation and they're chosen and they're going to be saved, then they're going to get saved no matter what. Whether they ever hear the gospel or not. Therefore, it's not that important whether we preach the gospel. That is totally unbiblical. And it is absolutely wrong. What we know from the scripture, what we know about salvation, is that God has ordained that the means by which his elect will be saved is the preaching of the gospel. That's why the Apostle Paul himself, in his older age before his death, that's why he wrote this in 2 Timothy 2.10. Hear his words. Timothy, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. In order that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul just told Timothy that that he purposed throughout his life to suffer. To suffer beatings and imprisonments and hardships and ridicule and division and hatred in order that God's elect would hear the gospel. And thus believe. And thus obtain salvation. Eternal life. That's written so that we would take the gospel and proclaim it. Which brings me to the third major lesson about the gospel in our passage. And that is this. The biblical gospel wipes out any Any reason for human boasting. It takes away every human work and it attributes salvation wholly and totally to God. And to God alone who chose us before the foundation of the world. This is why the doctrine of election is crucial. It alone humbles human pride and arrogance. We cannot even boast in our faith. I believe the gospel. Why don't you believe it, my dear friend or sibling? Are you stupid? That's boasting. When you realize what mercy that he caused me for nothing in me To be born again. To come to saving faith. It destroys all human boasting. Because even that faith is a gift from God. The gospel is a message of God's undeserving mercy and grace to sinners. Look what Paul says in verse 3 of chapter 14. So they remained a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace. At the very core of human sin is pride. And that pride is what creates religions upon which we human beings can boast. Or worse than creating the world religions and systems of human-centered boasting. Worse than that is when it creates in people who take the true word of God, the Hebrew Scriptures, and twist it into a legalistic system of works by which one merits and earns acceptability 
with God. And worse than that, throughout the history of the church, is taking not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament, and turning Jesus and the cross into a system by which we can do and thus get salvation and thus boast. Only the biblical gospel of grace cuts the guts out of that legalism. That's why we read in verse 42 of chapter 13, Paul preached the gospel we saw last week. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Many of those Jews or converted Jews under the system of works for your righteousness before God do better laboring their whole lives under that heard Paul proclaim that doesn't work. God has sent the message of grace. Forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ and justification before Him. How? Through Christ alone. How? Through your believing this message. Alone. Apart from anywhere. They heard that and said, tell us more. They begged. What good news. You would think everyone would be happy with such news. Free, absolute eternity of forgiveness of sins and to enjoy in happiness God's glory forever. But the fact is, many of them hate it. Which brings us to the fourth lesson. Which is this. When we preach, when we share, the biblical gospel, we should expect division, conflict, and opposition. That's the picture that Luke paints in our text. In Antioch of Pisidia, we read in verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost a whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews, now you've got to get this, not all the Jews, some Jews believe, the, the, the unbelieving Jews who did not and most likely, many of their leadership, when they saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. This opposition then led to them being chased out of town. Who? These gospel preachers. They go to the next town, the same thing happens, and they chase them out of town. Because these religious legalists, it says in the text, were filled with jealousy. They wanted everyone to remain and to stay in their system of works because through it they found their pride stroked by saying, he's a good religious guy. Look how holy she is. So when many Jews started to turn away from their system and they turned to the gospel of God's grace in Jesus, it threatened their pride. And that's when Paul and Barnabas, we read in verse 46, Paul and Barnabas then spoke out boldly, saying to them, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, my fellow Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying in Isaiah 49, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul 
And Barnabas are simply announcing to those who refuse to believe that you have condemned yourselves by rejecting the gospel of grace. Your rejection of Jesus, they are saying, proves that you are not an heir of eternal life. That's what Paul means when he says, you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. So now, these closing six, seven minutes, note, this is huge, that's why I'm going very slowly. Note this. In the context of all the rejection and opposition to the gospel, Paul and Barnabas did not gather together and have a meeting in order to change and tweak their message to maybe cause it to be a little bit more accepting. They did not change the message in order to avoid so many people rejecting it. They knew this is where this whole sermon comes together. They had a theology. They had an understanding of the gospel. They knew that Jesus had people that belonged to him in these cities. And with that, they knew that the fishing hook by which Jesus will catch them is the gospel of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. It was not their job, and it is not our job, to try to take the offense that is in the gospel towards people and remove it so it's just all sugary, sweet. Much of the market-driven Seeker-sensitive church movement that has been about for the last half century has at its core been about tweaking the message of Jesus in order to make it a little more palatable to sinners so that they would come back. 1,600 years ago, the great St. Augustine said very concisely, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe, but yourself. And so, for all of us in this room, we're commanded to believe the gospel and be saved. We're commanded to love the gospel. We're commanded, be saved by the gospel. And then we who believe are commanded to speak the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. And this biblical gospel confronts every sinner with their sin. It confronts the religious legalist with their pride. It confronts the sexually immoral with their immorality. It confronts the greedy with their love and worship of money. It convicts every sinner with their guilt before the one and only holy God, and then it offers freely to every sinner grace that cannot be earned, but only received. God's mercy and grace through His Son, whom He gave to become a human being, 
in order to be the substitutionary sacrifice upon which God's holy wrath against the sins of every sinner who would ever believe in Jesus were punished there. And thus, justice on their behalf had been satisfied in Jesus' perfect righteousness then attributed to them and their account for ever. This gospel shows us that we can do nothing to save ourselves. And those of us who by God's mercy have come to love the Lord Jesus, to love the gospel, we continue to read shocking things in the New Testament. And many of us on this side of the resurrection come to realize, I believe because God chose to save me from the foundation of the world unto His glory. And we revel all the more in it. And those who refuse to believe and refuse to love the Lord Jesus, it is because of their stubborn pride and arrogance and blinded eyes to the truth. This is the gospel. That message divides, causes conflict and tensions because it confronts human arrogance and pride and it glorifies God and God alone. But it is the only message that we are to proclaim. It is the message of amazing grace as we will sing in a moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word from Genesis to Revelation, from Moses to Jeremiah, to Luke, to Paul, to John. We thank you for what you have chosen to reveal. And may we continue to grow that whatever we find in your holy written word, we would endeavor, seek to better understand it. For in your word, you are working in us. We thank you for your ongoing Holy Spirit filling and working in our lives as your children. Make us better evangelists to the glory of Jesus. Amen.